If we are not on our guard against sin, sin will stand guard over us. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we just continue to come before you in a desperate, fervent pursuit of you, a desire that says, God, you're holy, there's none like you. The aim and the cry of our heart is to build our life upon you. Because God, we know this, that all other ground is sinking sand. The world and its allures, the pleasures of life, all that's out there is a house on popsicle sticks. They'll come crashing down when the waves of life hit, but you are firm foundation. We rest in you, we love you, we abide in you, Jesus. So God, would you speak right now in this time as we open your word? Holy Spirit, would you have your way with us today? Don't allow us to resist, but I pray that our, our hearts would be open, that our minds would be tuned into you, that, that even right now, as you're, as you're cultivating, as you're working in us, even this very moment, that you would prepare us. We dig deep into the truth of Scripture. So God, do something in this place today that when we leave here that we can only attribute to you. Can't manufacture a work of you, and so we just say, God, have your way. Just have your way. As the old hymn says, thou art the potter. I am, we are the clay, not the other way around. So word of God, speak. Speak now. To you be the praise, God. To you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people shouted, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. And as you're taking your seat there, take that Bible. And let's turn to uh, not James, but Hebrews. We are uh, in a different message today. This is one of those where late last night, the Holy Spirit just convicted me to uh, go to a different text for today. So Hebrews chapter 3, I pray you have a Bible open with your notes ready. Hebrews chapter 3, and as you're getting that ready, the conviction the Lord has had me under here now for a few days now has been heavy. It's been very heavy. Have you ever been under a heavy conviction by the Holy Spirit? Like you just sense it, you know it's from Him. I mean, you're trying to run, you're trying to get away from it, but you're like, you just know He's talking to you. Like He's reading your mail. It's you, it's me He's dialed into, and and as, as the old phrase says, you can run, but you can't hide. You know what I'm talking about? Well, he's had me under great conviction the last several days. One of the thoughts that really began to resonate in my mind was this, and it's the title of the message you'll see there in your notes. It's a question, and it's one that I had to deal with personally, and I want to ask you as well, but am I, are you, hindering the revival? That's the question the Lord spoke into my life. John, 
are you hindering the revival? We, we talk about revival all the time, don't we? We love it. We're hungering for it. We're desiring for it. We're thirsting. Whatever you want to use in there for this craving of revival. We believe it's happening. We believe it's going to happen even more. But God's spoken to my life, and it's like, John, are, are you talking to me? Are you hindering the revival? And as I answered that question truthfully, I came out of that with one answer, and the answer is yes. Because any time that I have indwelling sin that's not being dealt with, there's a break in that fellowship, that vertical fellowship. And isn't it so easy as believers just to rationalize sin, to justify it? Hey, it's not that bad. It's not that big a deal. Well, if you only knew what they're doing down the street. No, the reality is when I sin against God, I'm sinning against God. And that fellowship, that communication is being hindered. And when you study revivals and you study awakenings and you study reformations of days gone by, you see a common theme all throughout church history. And there's a dire brokenness. There's a dire desperation. There's a desperate plea to God to bend us, to break us, to to shape us, to do the work only you can do, God. And in the midst of that brokenness we talk about, it's just a heartfelt repentance. Total, hey, I'm here, God, laying on the operating, spiritual operating table of life. Like, don't give me a bypass, give me a total heart transplant. And God really has begun convicting me of some personal indwelling sin that hurts people. You notice that? Like when I sin, when you sin, don't buy the lie that that no one gets hurt in the process. It hurts. It hurts self. It hurts those around us. And many times, as I'm guilty of, I've hurt my family the most. The people you love the most is often the ones we hurt the most. And so God's really been working on me, just heavy, because I don't want to be the one hindering the revival. And so as I was praying about that late last night, this passage came to my mind, and I just sensed the Holy Spirit saying, we've talked about James, and we've talked about faith and works, and how the two go hand in hand, and and they're not isolated from one another, but they complement one another. And what a better launch pad to have today than talking about what it means to walk in obedience and not a heart that's hardened. And so here in this text, I pray you have your Bible open. It's Hebrews chapter 3, looking at verses 7 through 19. I'll read all of those, and then we'll just hunker down on verses 12 through 15. But here's what it says. The Word of God says this. So this is the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 3. 7 through 19. Therefore, in light of what was just said in the previous six verses, as the Holy Spirit says today, now make a note of that. You're going to see that word today several times here. Matter of fact, three times. If you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, if you hear it, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Now look at verse 9, where your fathers put me God says to the test, and saw my works for 40 years. Now look at verse 10. Therefore, I was provoked. I mean, just ponder that word for a moment, provoked. The great God of the Bible is provoked. 
You don't want to provoke God, amen? That's the one person you don't want to do. With that generation said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. And they swore in my wrath. Picture that. They shall not enter my rest. Now here's our verses 12 through 15 today. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 14, for we have come to share in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now lastly, verse 15 through 19, but 15 is our last verse of study. As it is said today, there it is again, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of what? Unbelief. The context here, the writer of Hebrews, and there's debate on who wrote Hebrews. I'm not going to discuss that today, but the writer of Hebrews here is going back to the Old Testament, Psalm 95, and he's pulling from this truth saying, look, you got these people called the kids of Israel, and they were just a great bunch of kids, weren't they? I mean, man, they were, they were listeners, they were obeyers. They just did everything that God told them to do on target, on time, on spot, right? Well, of course not. You know the story. These were kids of Israel who act like kids, and they struggled, and they struggled, and they struggled, and God provided, and God provided, and they struggled, and they struggled. God did a miracle, God did a miracle, and they doubted, and they doubted. And it's so easy, it's so easy for me to look at the kids of Israel and say, what a bunch of losers. I mean, look at these people. They don't get it. And yet the reality is as God has been speaking to my heart, not audibly, but just through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's like, John, you are no different than them. You are no different than them. You bellyache, you whine, you complain. You have anxiety about this. You're not trusting here. On and on I could go of these challenges in my life that I am directing all of that towards the kids of Israel. And the reality is I'm looking in the mirror and what I see in the mirror is exactly what I'm calling out them to be. And it's convicting, isn't it? Man, when the Holy Spirit begins to deal with you, deal with me, man, it's convicting. And the thing that's so convicting to me is again the pain, the pain that we inflict on other people. It becomes so crushing. It becomes almost debilitating that you realize that because of my sin, because of my rebellion, because of my disobedience, look what I've done to that person. See, right here in this Hebrews text, it, it says this in verse 12, Take care, brothers, take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Did you catch this? So the take care is very important. I want you to write down somewhere in your notes, 
this beautiful phrase, this beautiful word rather, beware. Just write that down somewhere, beware. You're going to need this because how many of you have a dog? You even have a dog? Dog lovers in the room? Get those hands high. Okay, we got about a quarter of the church that's saved. Okay, all right, I got it. Okay, okay, so got a few dog lovers there. All right. What happens, you know, you're out walking, uh, you're out walking your own dog, you're taking a walk in your neighborhood, and you see a sign that says, beware of, help me church, dog, right? And maybe on the other side of that fence, man, you can hear the claws, right? Like you can hear the claws on the fence. Man, they're, they're clawing, and it's, it's a bark, and it's not a woof, woof. You know, it's not woof, woof. I mean, this thing is like going to just eat you for lunch, you know what I'm talking about? It is like ready to come over the fence, so what do you do? Well, if you're carrying your own dog or walking your own dog, carrying your own dog is kind of weird. But if you're walking your own dog, you know, you're just kind of walking your own dog, right? You're walking, there you go. What do you do? Well, when you hear this, you pick up your dog and you throw it over the fence, right? Well, of course you don't do that. That would be insane, right? You don't do that. That's just nuts. Why? Well, because when it says beware and you hear what's going on, you don't want to participate in what's going on on the other side of the fence. There's a warning. There's a warning, beware, beware. Right here, the writer of Hebrews is saying, beware. Warning, warning. Warning, warning. Warning, warning to what? What's it say in verse 12? Brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So an evil, unbelieving heart will lead us away from God. Walking in deception, walking in untruth will lead us away from the Lord. That's why I want you to write down key number one. So important in your notes. Key number one. Here it is. Key number one. If we are not on our guard against sin, sin will stand guard over us. Write that down. If we are not on our guard against sin, sin will stand guard over us. Again, going back to the kids of Israel. So we might call it the cycle of stupidity. Again, God has been working on me, and just to be blunt, man, I've been in a cycle of stupidity where there's been some things that I've said, haven't behaved Christ-like, speech hasn't been seasoned with salt like it should be, and again, especially to family. This is very, very painful that we hurt those so often that we so dearly love. The ones that we say we treasure are the ones we inflict pain on so often. I was marinating through that whole process, and I couldn't help but think of Proverbs. You know, we love Proverbs around here, don't we? The wisdom literature, the book of Proverbs, there's so much wisdom in that book. And, you know, Proverbs says this, that as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. I mean, just think through that visual there. Think about the deceitfulness of sin. As I was thinking about my own life, am I hindering the revival was the question. Am I repeating sin? And the answer is yes. The blunt answer is yes. There's areas in my life that I'm working on, that I'm dealing with at this present moment, like as of today, that God, I'm asking him even right now, root this out, remove this, because it's not of you, Lord, it's not holy, it's not edifying. That's hard to do, though, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to be vulnerable. It's risky, isn't it? But vulnerability and transparency are two components 
with humility and contrition that will help usher in the revival. It's the prideful heart that I've struggled with that will keep the revival at bay. It's speaking unkind words to a family member that will keep the revival at bay. It's not following through. It's preaching a message from a pulpit on Sunday and living a different way Monday through Saturday that's going to hinder the revival. And the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me saying, you can't do this. You can't do this. You are either, as we're talking about in James, are you a sayer or are you an obeyer? And I've been preaching this message about being an obeyer versus a sayer, and I've realized in my own life the blinders are being removed, that there's certain silos in my own life that I'm a really good sayer and not a very good obeyer. And as the Lord's convicting me, I must be on my guard against this sin, otherwise this sin will stand guard over me. Write this down, 1 Peter 5.8 is a supporting verse. We've quoted this before, but 1 Peter 5.8, and this one is so blunt, so to the core of what we're up against here. But here's what 1 Peter 5.8 says, and if you're like me and you're struggling, if the Holy Spirit right now is speaking to you and you're like, okay, he's got my attention right now because things are being brought to mind, that right now they're being brought to your mind of areas of, okay, wait a minute, that was a blind spot because I've been suppressing that, not dealing with it, but the reality is I got to deal with this stuff. Here's what 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, it means to be clear-minded, be watchful, so be on your guard, be on the lookout tower, if you will. Why? Because your adversary of the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So, so here's the deal, so so in, in my brokenness, as God is revealing my struggles, my areas, let's just call it what is sin. Like it's sin. We can say hey, it's mistakes and, you know, I'm not doing real good here. Here's the deal. It's sin. Let's just call it what it is. Well, let's name it. Let's get it out in the light so we can now deal with it. Here's the struggle with this. It's kind of like a, um, a football team. Any football fans in the room? We did the dog illustration. How about football fans? Any football fans? Okay, good grief. This church needs revival. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we need revival. Good grief. Okay, all right. So, so we'll think of another illustration later that hopefully we'll get a little better on. But here's the deal. So football teams, if you're a football player or coach, you study your opponent. You study them. I mean, you know your opponent so that you know their tactics. You know what they're going to throw at you. Do we know our enemy? Do we know our weak spots ourselves so that we can know that he's going to come at us with those chinks in the armor? He's going to try to find a crevice everywhere we have that chink. He's going to go up and going to slip in there. I'm going to slip in there to bring you away, to deceive, to pull you away. He's so crafty. He's so cunning. It says here, he's your adversary, the devil, and he prowls around just prowls around. The enemy doesn't say, hey, you know what? I know you're following Jesus. Praise the Lord. This is great. Uh, you know, let me help you on your journey. You know, let me give you some gas money so on your trip to Jesus, you can get there quicker. That's not how this works. He's constantly trying to pull us away to deceive, to delude. He's our adversary. Don't miss this. He literally is your accuser. Like he's a Jesus hater. And because you love Jesus, he hates you. And he doesn't care who's in his way. The enemy will seek to kill, steal, and destroy everyone and anyone that's in his way. Have you ever noticed this? That in our culture, you can say, uh, 
you know, I love God, and everyone kind of goes, yeah, that's great, right? I mean, we all love God, supposedly. You see these surveys in America, and everyone loves God, right? Then you ask, who loves Jesus? Boy, that divides the room, doesn't it? Now, when you cast the name that's above every name out on the table, I mean, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life will divide the room. And it's no different for me and you that when we are living for Him, I man, the enemy is going to do everything he can, and I've fallen victim to this. He will deceive and blind, and we won't see it for what it is. We'll rationalize it. We'll put a label on it, put a, a new package, put a big bow on it, go, you know, it's really not that bad. When in reality, it's creating great, great division, discord in our homes, our businesses, our ball teams, our churches, all across our country. The enemy right here, he's our adversary, and he prowls around, just prowling. Just picture that, covert, stealth, seeking who may devour. Look at verse 13 there in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 3. But exhort one another, how often? Every day, as long as it's called today. Now, don't miss that. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So this exhorting is that word parakleo. That's where we get the fellowship of encouragement. It's that Greek word. That's where we got it from. And the reality is this. Encouragement has multiple meanings in many forms. Often we regulate it to simply just putting the arm around the shoulder, and that is encouragement. Hey, I want to encourage you. I know you're discouraged. Don't lose heart. That is part of encouraging. It literally does mean to come alongside, to put your arm around. But it also means this. It also means to admonish. So one of the ways that you can be encouraged and I can be encouraged is that you and I, we admonish one another. Now, we do it with love and mercy and grace, but I need to be admonished. I need to be called out for my sin. When I'm in error, I need that so that I will get back on course. There is not one person in this room that can truthfully say, hey, I don't need that. That's actually pride. Everyone in this room, we need to be admonished from time to time. We need to get back on the path because, well, we veer, don't we? It's so easy to stray. It's like going to the beach. You guys ever been to the beach? Try that one. Anyone go to the beach? All right, I knew we had a lot of people saved. Okay. So you go to the beach. What happens is you get on your raft, right? You lay in your raft. You're out there in the ocean. You're just kind of floating around. Before long, what happened? You're looking back on the beach going, where's my stuff? I've only been out here for seven minutes, and where is it? Well, that current, it's slow, but you begin to drift, don't you? It's the same way in life. Man, spiritually, it doesn't take much to get on our raft and we just get out there and we're floating around enjoying life. And before you know it, we've lost all compass spiritually of where we should be. We got to be pulled back. We need someone to love us enough to tell us the truth. It's not easy. I don't like being told that I'm living in sin. I need to hear it though. When people have done that to me, it's because they love me and they are helping me get recalibrated back to where I need to be. No one is immune from this. I know it's not easy to admit it, but admitting it is part of the revival. I mean, you get a bunch of people going, hey, I need help, I'm broken, I'm a mess. I mean, revival, I believe, is just around the corner. It's those that sit there and go, hey, I'm good, I got this going on. Really? You're hindering the revival. 
That's why this is so mission critical in our lives, that we exhort. How often do we do it? Every day? And then he says, as it's called today. That word today means this now. It means urgency. It means this is the deal and get her done is what it means. It means like right now. Like don't think about tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. Life is but a vapor. You may live to be a, a hundred years old in this life, and that's a long time to live, but you realize that that's nothing in the scope of eternity. Like that's a speck on the speck of the speck of eternity, a hundred years old. So what are we doing today? What are we using today to usher in the revival? What obedience are we doing? What is it that God's asking from us today? He's always asking something from every one of us that's truly in him. He's always asking something. And by the way, he will never lead you to something that you can truly accomplish in your own strength because if you accomplish it in your own strength, what's the need for him? He always calls you to something bigger than you. He'll send you to an assignment. You're like, how am I ever going to do this? And he's back there going, that's the whole point. That's the whole point that I send you wherever he does send you. God says, I send you in this vein so that, hey, you're going to rely on me, not your abilities, not your talents, not your wealth, not your circumstances. You will just rely on me day by day, especially in today. But what does he say after that in the verse? He says this, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hardened. What does that mean? It means this, to, to be obstinate. For your parents in the room, maybe you have a young child, and maybe when you were a child, as I can recollect when I was a child, there was a struggle with being obstinate. And it's really easy to be obstinate as a child, isn't it? Well, you don't get your way. Uh, you don't get to do this, you don't get to do that, and boy, you, you dig your heels in. When you're that child, we called it being stiff as a board. They would just go stiff as a board. Remember these days, parents? Just stiff as a board. You try to move them, and they're just stiff as a board. They are resisting. They're, they're rebelling. They're saying, you're not going to tell me what to do. When I begin to think about that, aren't I guilty as an adult? God's not doing what I want. He's not going my way, and we begin to dig our heels in. How do we get there? Well, see, our heart gets hardened. Our heart gets hardened. It, there's a callousness there. There's a, a brazenness. We call it being stiff-necked in the Old Testament, that, that I don't want to walk in truth. I got my own agenda, my own plans. It's not coming through how I like. And so we begin to do what? Our heart begins to harden from the inside out. Why? He says this, that it's hardened, it's obstinate, Literally, when you think about this, you think of the, the physical artery. Think about the physical artery for just a moment in your life, the physical heart artery. In order to keep those clean, healthy, and clear, you, you want to eat right, you want to exercise, you want to take care of your body. It is no different in the spiritual realm. It's no different. We have to spiritually take care of our arteries, spiritually. Because if we don't, they will get clogged. If we are not exercising the spiritual muscle, if you will, through the word, through prayer, through fellowship, through discipleship, through being admonished, through being encouraged, if we are not doing this on a regular basis, here's what will happen. Your hearts will begin to harden. Your hearts will begin to harden. And how do they do that? Those arteries get clogged. 
as those arteries get clogged, here's what happens. We now no longer see the truth for what it really is. We're blinded. We're deceived. It doesn't make sense. I've been there. We think we're walking in the right direction when we're really not. We begin to rationalize and justify and make excuse after excuse. We're living in deception now. How did we get there? We stepped away from the truth. We did not feed the heart spiritually. And now those arteries all around the heart spiritually now are hardened and even deadened. Question for you and me today, are you, am I, are we hindering the revival? Are you, am I, are we hindering the revival? You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Think about this, the deceitfulness of sin in that last part of the verse there in verse 13. So deceitfulness, as we talked about before, is swindle, it's trickery, it's being seduced. So let let me put this in context. Let me read verse 13. Here it is. But exhort, but encourage, but admonish one another every day, as long as it's called today now, urgency, that none of you may be what? Obstinate, have dead spiritual arteries in your heart. How? By the deceitfulness of sin. Fishermen, fisherwomen in the audience today. I know we got a few fishermen, fisherwomen. I'll tell you what, when we go fishing, we love to fish, don't we? I love to fish. Not very good at it, but I love to fish. And what are we doing when we fish? Well, let's be honest. Uh, we got a hook, and maybe we use, let's just say we're using a dough ball. We're going old school, a dough ball, right? We make the dough ball, when we put on the end of the hook, and we're casting it out there. What are we doing? Man, we're tricking the fish, aren't we? Let's just be honest. We're tricking the fish. Come on, we're in church. Don't lie. We're tricking fish. How many fish trickers do we have in the church house today? Amen? we got a bunch of us, don't we? We love to trick the fish because it's fun. And then we're catching fish. We're reeling them in. There's deception going on there. Have you thought about this? Let's go out and deceive some fish today, right? <laughs> but you'll never fish the same way again, will you? We're out deceiving the fish. That's what it is, though. When it happens to us, it's just reverse. The enemy, he knows our weakness and he puts our dough ball on the end of the hook, doesn't he? And he just dangles the dough ball. And we go, oh, dough ball. And what do we do? Hook, line, and sinker, we partake. And isn't it amazing? I'm just thinking of myself right now and some of these recent struggles. And you look back on it and you go, what was I thinking? Like, what was I thinking? Because I said that, look now at the ramifications of what I said. If I just would have lived the message I preach, and that is simply be what? Quick to listen, slow to speak. I would not be in this mess. What's easy, isn't it? To be deceived. It's just so easy. The enemy is just so subtle. He is more patient than we will ever be. He will wait a lifetime for you and I to drive off the cliff where you and I, good grief, we can't uh, 
you know, everyone's blaring their horns at Taco Bell on the line because they want to get indigestion. I mean, it's insanity what goes on in our culture. We can't wait for anything in life. And the enemy goes, hey, I'll wait your entire life for you to drive off a cliff. The deceitfulness of sin, it's real. He will swindle. He will lie. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. That's why key number two, write it down. Key number two, here it is. We must exhort each other to resist the allure of sin. Key number two, we must exhort each other to resist the allure of sin. There is power in the pack, isn't there? Have you guys heard that before? There is power in the pack. Man, if, if I'm standing alone, it's one thing. Man, the enemy loves to go one-on-one. But man, when you get two or three brothers and they're fighting the war together, two or three sisters fighting the war together, man, there is power, there is strength in the pack. The same thing happens in our lives regarding sin. If we think we're somehow going to overcome this by being isolated, we're only fooling ourselves. And when there's a struggle, I need your help. I can't live this life on my own. The Holy Spirit, amen, lives inside of me, but I still struggle. I need brothers around me that will hold me accountable. I need brothers around me that will encourage me. And we need this. I need this. Life's too hard. It's too easy, church, to hold up the revival. It's just too easy to do it because we'll rationalize it all day long. No, I need brothers around me that will speak truth into my life, like it's happened recently to me. I've had some truth spoken into me just recently. Hard to hear truth, necessary truth. Now I'm working on those blind spots. Now here's the deal. When you're working on your blind spots, do you always just poof, get the blind spot taken care of instantaneously. Well, sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. There are sometimes it is a bit of a process. So for you that are confronting and doing it in love with mercy and grace, extend that to the man, the woman, the student, the child that has a humble heart that wants to be more like Jesus. And sometimes it is poof. I've seen it happen. I mean, literally it's gone. Other times it's a bit of a process to get totally back on course. The key is we want to hunger and thirst for community. God did not design you and I to be isolated. People go, ah, I got to go to church. Well, if you're just checking off a box, it is a waste of time to be blunt. But if you understand the point of the body, that we're to be together, to encourage, to admonish, to help one another in this life that is so difficult, man, you will hunger for it. And by the way, how can someone not love the bride which Jesus Christ shed his blood for? Like, how can you not love the bride if you're a true believer in Him? That's why Ecclesiastes, write this down, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 9 and 10, and then also verse 12. So Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10, and also 12. Here's what it says. Two are better than one. Okay, makes sense. Why? Because they have a good reward for their toil. You could say many hands make the work light. How about verse 10? For if they fall one will lift up his fellow. Awesome. But woe to him who is alone. There it is, isolation when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him and a threefold cord is not easily broken or quickly broken. Now think about this. Engineers have taken this principle from scripture. When they design cable or rope, suspension bridges, you see this concept here. 
that you take one strand and it could be strong, but you take another and you wrap it around and now you really got strength. Well, you take three strands and it is super duper strong, isn't it? Now imagine this in the spiritual context of a home, a business, a ball team, a church. Imagine if everyone in this room today, we come together, we wrap around one another in unity and accountability, and the blood of Jesus Christ is the coating that goes around that. I mean, you have something that cannot be shaken. It's powerful when there's strength in numbers. The enemy loves to isolate, but when there's strength in numbers, standing for the truth of God's word, I believe the demons flee and tremble because that's under the name of Jesus Christ. How about verse 14? Here it is, verse 14. Verse 14 says this, and I love this. For we have come to share in Christ. Don't miss that. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So here's this share, and it's partaking of, it's partaking with. It really means this, to identify with Christ. So just think about that for a moment, church. So can you truthfully say today in your own life, can I say, not just verbally, not just verbally, I'm talking about a testimony. And by the way, hear me clearly on this. When I say testimony, I'm not talking about perfection. Some of the greatest testimonies you can share with a lost and dying world is that when you go off the rails, you humble yourself, you confess, you repent, and you come back into the fold, so to speak. What a glorious, glorious picture of redemption. I mean, that's just awesome because the reality is this, if I'm standing up here saying, look, you got to be perfect, and I myself am not perfect, we're all in trouble, aren't we? There's going to be a great disconnect from the pulpit to the pew if we're constantly talking about, you got to be perfect, perfect, perfect. That's not what we're talking about here. We are pursuing perfection as we identify in Christ, but He does the work through us, and the reality is, man, we all stumble like a bunch. I know I do. Our missteps, our sin can actually be an open door to now galvanize the home, the business, the ball team, and the church even stronger. I know you're thinking, where are you getting this? Well, think about it. How will a lost and dying world know and see and embrace what it means to reconcile and to restore if the church of Jesus Christ is not leading in this? I mean, they're not going to see it from the world. I mean, you might catch it on the Hallmark Channel, but it's not real. You see my point here? This is one of those deals where we actually have the open window to say, you know what? What was done was wrong. Is the person humble and contrite? And if they are, man, let's extend some grace because think about what God did to us. I mean, we could take each one of us and just line us up right now on the platform And just one by one, like on the screens behind us, for all of your life, just rattle off every one of your sins and my sins. Man, we'd be here a long time, wouldn't we? I mean, you think the sermon's long. Man, we'd be here a long time, wouldn't we? I mean, just rattling the stuff off one after another. Aren't you glad that when God looks at your highlight film, He doesn't go, okay, well, I'm going to, this was the seventh time you did that, and so you know what, no more. it's It's just more grace, isn't it? Are we as quick to receive the grace and then also as quick to extend it? See, here when you think about this glorious thought of we must exhort one another, I love that part in key three, and I want you to write it down now. 
Because true faith in Christ perseveres to the end. True faith in Christ perseveres to the end. When it's real, it is real. Bottom line, when it's real, it's real. If it's a sham on the front end, it'll be a sham on the back end. But when it's true, when you've really given your heart to Christ, here's the beauty of this, you will persevere to the end. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, let's make it a biblical issue like we always try to do. Let's look at Scripture. Write down Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, verses 10 through 13. This is the Olivet Discourse. Jesus talking about signs of the end of the age. Just listen to these few verses and see if these sound familiar. So here it is, verse 10 of 24, Matthew. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Sound familiar? Check. And many, verse 11, false prophets will rise and lead many astray. Check. Verse 12, and because lawlessness, sin, will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Check. Now look at verse 13. But the one who does what? Endures to win. The end will be what? Saved, rescued. So here's the deal. When the writer here of Hebrews is saying, look, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, is he saying that you hold yourself in eternal security? Is that what he's saying? Is that what he's getting at here? Of course not. It's by grace we've been saved. Amen? Lest any man should boast. It's the grace of God. But remember, we talked about this last week. The end of that text in Ephesians 2 says this, for we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, created for what? Good works. The obedience comes from the salvation, not for the salvation. When you obey, you're doing it because, man, the blinders have been removed. Does it mean that you never stumble again? <laughs> kind of chuckle on that one, don't we? Does that mean you never stumble again in life and sin? Of course not. But prayerfully, we will see it, but the moments we don't, like has been pointed out to me even recently, when I didn't see it, prayerfully I will receive it, repent from it, and now I know, okay, I got a new area of growth that I can grow in and become more like Jesus. Now, it's hard, isn't it? Because who really today wants to go, I was wrong. But I was wrong are some of the most powerful words in the English language. Three of the most powerful words, I was wrong. And then you can add, will you forgive me? What incredible, incredible opportunity to show humility, to admonish, to encourage, and to give a billboard to a lost and dying world that, hey, true faith in Christ will endure, will persevere to the end. Now, question for me and you, if someone is being encouraged to persevere, what does that tell you about the something? Like if you're going through something and someone comes up to you today and says, hey, I want you to be encouraged I want you to persevere. What do you think they are saying about your something? Well, they're saying your something must be pretty difficult, right? I mean, you don't go up to someone who's just like flying through life and life is grand and go, boy, I hope you persevere. That'd be kind of weird, right? 
No, you see someone who's going through a struggle. They've lost a loved one. They've lost their job. They're in deep sin and they realize that you just say, hey, I'm praying for you to persevere. That's an encouragement to come alongside of, to remember to bear one another's burdens that you, you get under the shoulder. You get under there and they're literally on your shoulder leaning in and you're helping to carry them along. You're bearing the load. You're saying, hey, I want you to persevere and, and to not lose heart. How about verse 15? Here it is, last verse. As it is said today, there it is again, third time, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Let me read that again. Make sure this sinks in. So here's verse 15. As it is said today, capital T, if you hear His voice, if, if you're hearing it, do not harden your hearts. Don't be obstinate. Don't reject it. Don't disobey as in the rebellion. Again, a reference to Psalm 95. So when you think through this, you got to remember that since true salvation is by the grace of God, those who endure are those who truly understand His grace. I mean, you understand it, right? We know it's by the grace of God. So when you endure, you truly understand His grace. It's not cheap grace. It's not. It's not cheap grace. This is not cheap. It cost Him dearly. Freedom is never free. It costs greatly. This is not sanitized Jesus. No, this is marred beyond recognition, beaten and whipped and scourged and tortured and, and mocked and sinless in the process. Yet, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's grace. That's just, that's grace that I can't even understand. That's unmerited favor that is out of this world. And I pray in my brokenness, and I pray in your brokenness that we can be great grace extenders, amen? Now, does that mean you never confront? Of course not. And there's times where you do confront. You do it with love, mercy, and grace. But there's times where evil seeps into homes, businesses, ball teams, and churches, and you say, look, we got to deal with this. But we want to extend as much grace as possible because God extended so much to you and I. I want you to think about here, key number four, write this down. Here it is, key number four, our last key. So here it is. And this one really stirred in my heart because, well, key number four is my testimony here that I realized this past week. So if left unchecked, sin will lead to a hardened heart. Don't play with this one. I'm living it. If left unchecked, Sin will lead to a hardened heart. If we just think, hey, it's not a big deal, it is a big deal. Because I don't know about you, but man, when you've realized, like I'm realizing, some of the pain I've caused people that I love so dearly, it is like one of the most devastating things you go through. I mean, it is just torture, the torment literally just rivers of water just flowing from your eyes, just realizing the gravity of sin and the brokenness within us. A couple of verses that I pray will challenge us in this would be 2 Chronicles 30, verse 8. Write that one down, 2 Chronicles 30, verse 8. It says this, Do not now be stiff-necked, there it is, that rebellious heart, as your fathers were, just hang on to that for a moment, but yield. So do not be, but yield. 
So don't do this, do this. Don't be like your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to His sanctuary, which He has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God, that His fierce anger may turn away from you. Now here it is. So do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were. I read that last night as I was redirecting this message, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. One of the things I fear the most is that my children will repeat my sin patterns. One of the things that I just fear the most is that my children will repeat my sin patterns. And I pray to the Lord that that won't happen. I pray that that gets broken. I pray that gets crushed. I don't want any of my children, I love them all so dearly, I don't want any of them to walk the way I've walked. Has the Lord redeemed me? Yes. Is there a testimony in my life? Yes. But the bottom line is this, I still cause pain. And I don't want them to walk in this way as your fathers did. Some of you are here today in the reality from doing men's ministry almost 20 years now that some of you today have deep father wounds. The deep, the painful, the real, the raw. And they've been there for years. Here's the great news. Listen, here's the great news. You have a heavenly father who can take all of your pain, all of your struggle, all the torment you're dealing with right now, and he can make all things new. He can take that mess and truly create the message. He can take the trials from the past and create the triumph. He can take those tests and create a glorious testimony. Isn't that so beautiful when you read about those accounts? I'm sure you have where there's been a breakdown in a family and, and there's been great discord and division. And yet God breaks through by the power of the Holy Spirit. He makes all things new. There's now redemption and there's that restoration. Isn't it just so beautiful? Because you see something happening that doesn't happen often. You see the power of the gospel at work. You see the power of the risen Savior and what He can do. And He can take that and what is so horrible and what men meant for evil, God can make for good. That's how great our God is, amen? Don't you love our God? That in the midst of the pain, receiving pain, or like me, inflicting pain, Receiving it? Or maybe you're like me today and you've inflicted pain. Aren't you glad that God's grace covers it? Doesn't give us a license to sin, but we walk in that knowing that, hey, as we're moving forward in sanctification, we're going to become more like Jesus in the process. Second verses I want to give you here. Here they are. Ezekiel chapter 11, 19 through 20. Here's the encouraging point. Ezekiel 11, 19 through 20. God speaks to Ezekiel, and here he is talking about the kids of Israel and that remnant. He says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Did you catch that? No longer stone, but a heart of flesh. Why? That they may walk in my statues. They may keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. 
question for me and you today, are, are you, am I, are we hindering the revival? Is it possible right now the Holy Spirit speaking to you saying, here's these areas that, that you got to deal with. You can run, but you can't hide. You can suppress, but it's going to rise to the surface at some point. Bring it to the light, expose it. It's happened in my life here. It's, it's very painful going through this process, but it's necessary. I got to confront the issues and challenges in my life head on. And here's the, the cliff notes. Everyone, every one of us has issues and challenges. Every one of us do. There's not one person immune. The question is, do you understand that if you don't deal with it, it's going to deal with you? And so we deal head on and we say, here it is. Here's the mess I've made. Here is the utter mess I've made. And I was thinking about that last night. I thought, based on these couple circumstances, I thought, what a mess I've made. What an absolute fool. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly, is what Proverbs says. So foolish. Through confession, I love what the Word says, that if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us but he goes one step further, doesn't he? He now cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Is that just not awesome? Like there is nothing in your life today that can bring you that. That he's going to forgive you, pardon you, but then he's going to say, look, I'm going to forgive, but go even deeper. I'm going to wash you from the inside out. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. We have been cleaned and literally just made spotless and pure by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. So here's the takeaway question. I want you to write this down. Here it is. Real simple because we started with it. Am I hindering the revival? Just ask yourself that. Am I hindering the revival? Because the action step is so important. It's just a, a cry to God, an appeal to God. God, reveal my blind spots of sin today. God, reveal my blind spots of sin today. See, we can't harden our hearts. We, we can't do this. We have to make sure there's no tolerance for it. We're being obstinate. We're stiff-necked. We're rebelling. What happens in that? Well, as you see that rebellion there, it's disobedience. We walk in that if we're not careful. And the reality is we're just like the Israelites. We go to our little stash of little G-gods and we seek comfort from them. And the great God, the true and living God, who is not dead but fully alive, says, hey, I'm over here. John, I'm over here. Why are you fretting about this and causing this turmoil? Why are you speaking rudely to this person, John? Why are you behaving like this? On and on, my life is being revealed in front of me of personal indwelling sin. And now I'm confronted with it. I must deal with it because if I don't, it will deal with me. You know, who is it typically that is the last to see our own personal indwelling sin? You know, who is it typically? Us, right? But we can see it in everybody else. And I've learned that when I'm, I'm pointing at you, I got three fingers pointing back at me, don't I? What is God speaking to your heart today? Perhaps in this moment, the Lord is revealing and saying, look, I want you to just give whatever you're holding on to to me. Don't rationalize it. Don't justify it. Give whatever you have to the Lord today. 
and watch Him work. Watch Him bring restoration to your home. Watch Him do it in your life, to your relationships. Watch Him do it. Father, we just come before You. and God, I pray that as we talk about revival so often, God, are we willing today to actually do what's necessary? Your Word shows us that you look on the one who is humble and who trembles at your word. Father, I pray, would you, would you just speak to our hearts? Would you speak to my heart? Would you speak to every heart here today that, that they would hear you clearly and that you're speaking to them, you're speaking to me, not the person next to us. You're just speaking to us individually saying, these are the areas. Your heart's gotten hardened. It's calloused. Your spiritual arteries are clogged. God, do the work right now only you can do. Holy Spirit, do the work. Move in power in this place today. Don't allow us to be hard-hearted. Don't allow us to resist right now as you're trying to work. God, do something. We don't want to be casual Christians any longer. We want to be all in for you, committed. We only have today. We don't know if we have tomorrow. Help us today to repent. Help us today to forgive. Help us today to choose this day who we will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So God, as we surrender everything to you, we're not surrendering some. We're going to surrender all. God, I would pray if we can't sing this song truthfully, I pray we don't even sing it. All to Jesus I surrender. Not some, not partial, everything. God, would you move? Move in power right now. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.